When you say 316, everybody's mind goes to the most famous, most well-known quoted verse probably in all of the Bible in John 3 and 16, verse 16. But this morning we talked about the fact that there's a lot of beautiful, powerful, encouraging messages from God that are contained in texts that have 316 at the heart of them. You know, tonight we're going to take a look at a few of those from in the New Testament, just as we looked at some in the Old Testament this morning. Oklahoma is known for its famous Route 66, but tonight we're going to take the spiritually scenic Route 316 through the New Testament. Please open with me, if you would, to Matthew chapter 3, and let me remind you that there is a more comprehensive list of all of these passages, what I call the 316 power passages, out on the foyer table, and we do not have time to look at them all, but I hope tonight, especially with some of the sadness and prayer requests and things that are going on, to encourage you with the love of God. The first 316 passage that I would like to look at is Matthew 3, 13 through 17, where it says this. Then Jesus came from Galilee to John at the Jordan to be baptized by him. And John tried to prevent him, saying, I need to be baptized by you, and are you coming to me? But Jesus answered and said to him, Permit it, permit it to be so now, for thus it is fitting for us to fulfill all righteousness. And then he allowed him. When he had been baptized, Jesus came up immediately from the water, and behold, the heavens were opened to him, and he saw the Spirit of God descending like a dove and alighting upon him. And suddenly a voice came from heaven, saying, This is my beloved Son, in whom I am well pleased. If you were here this morning, you recall that we closed the sermon by saying that we need to be baptized into Christ to become children of the living God. Now, we are baptized for a different reason than Jesus was. Jesus was baptized to fulfill all righteousness, but we know that Jesus never sinned. However, in some way, and we are baptized for the forgiveness of our sins. But in one way, Jesus' baptism, or in several ways, Jesus' baptism was very similar to ours. He was immersed in water, as we are immersed in water. And one of the beautiful things I love about this particular passage with 316 at its heart is that it is at this point in verse 17, immediately after his baptism, that God calls out from heaven and says, This is my beloved Son. As I said this morning, it is when we are baptized into Christ for the forgiveness of our sins that we become children of God. And so we see the beautiful symbolism for us here. We're no longer strangers and aliens to the covenants of hope. We're no longer without God and without hope in the world, Ephesians 2.11, but we become children of the living God when we are baptized. That is a beautiful passage, but it certainly is not the only one. Please turn with me in your Bibles to Acts 3. Acts chapter 3. In Acts chapter 3, Peter and John are headed up to the temple. There's this man there that's lame and he's asking for alms and Peter heals him instead. And I want you to follow along with me from verse 11 
forward. Acts 3 and verse 11. As the lame man who was healed went on to held on to Peter and John, all the people ran together to them in the porch, which is called Solomon's, greatly amazed. So when Peter saw it, he responded to the people and said, Men of Israel, why do you marvel at this? Or why look so intently at us, as though by our own power or godliness we had made this man walk? The God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, the God of our fathers, glorified his servant Jesus, whom you delivered up and denied in the presence of Pilate when he was determined to let him go. These people had done a horrible thing. He says, but you denied the Holy One and the just and asked for a murderer to be granted to you and killed the Prince of Life, whom God raised from the dead, of which we are witnesses. And his name, through faith in his name, has made this man strong whom you see and know. Yes, the faith which comes through him has given him this perfect soundness in the presence of you all. Yet now, brethren, I know that you did it in ignorance, as did also your rulers. But those things which God foretold by the mouth of all his prophets, that the Christ would suffer, he is thus fulfilled. Repent, therefore, and be converted, that your sins may be blotted out, so that times of refreshing may come from the presence of the Lord. What a beautiful passage. It's beautiful because it reflects the same sentiments that Matt offered in his prayer, and I really appreciated that prayer. Matt and I have often talked at the back door about, don't know why God loves us, don't know how he does it, don't know why he does it. Well, I want you to look at this passage again, and I want you to notice what terrible things these people had done. They had actually delivered up Jesus. They had taken Barabbas and had him freed instead of Jesus, even when Pilate wanted to release Jesus. They were guilty for the crucifixion of Jesus Christ, and yet to those very same people... What does he say in verse 19? God still loves you. You need to repent. The times of refreshing may come. The Lord still loves you. The Lord still wants to work with you. The Lord still wants to refresh you. The Lord still wants to be your God and your Father. And that offer is still open despite those terrible things you've done. What an awesome God we serve. 3.16 is at the heart of some powerful passages in Scripture. Not only that, but in some cases, the very verse stands alone. Turn with me to 1 Corinthians 3, 16. 1 Corinthians 3, 16. Do you not know that you are the temple of God and that the Spirit of God dwells in you. Let that sink in. Some say he's writing here to the church as a whole. Either way, the church is made up of individual Christians. But I want you to contemplate that. The Spirit of God, God the Creator, He who created this entire universe in six days, He who gave His only begotten Son, He who had this plan in place before we messed everything up to fix us once we did. Do you not know that you are the temple of God and the Spirit of God dwells in you? What a powerful passage. And I'm reminded here of a very similar and precious passage. It's not a 316 passage, but it goes along with this. And that is Romans chapter 8, verses 9 through 17. I'm going to excerpt that a little bit. Romans 8, 9 through 17. Just listen. 
Now, if anyone does not have the Spirit of Christ, he is not his. And if Christ is in you, the body is dead because of sin, but the Spirit is life because of righteousness. But if the Spirit of him who raised Jesus from the dead dwells in you, he who raised Christ from the dead will also give life to your mortal bodies through his Spirit who dwells in you. Verse 15, For you did not receive the spirit of bondage again to fear, but you received the spirit of adoption by whom we cry out, Abba, Father. The Spirit himself bears witness with our spirit. We are children of God. We are. That's present tense, brethren. We are children of God. And if children, then heirs. Heirs of God and joint heirs with Christ, if indeed we suffer with him, that we may also be glorified together. Isn't that a powerful? I'm a child of God. That's not just a phrase. That's a standing with Almighty God. I'm his child. 1 Corinthians 3.16 and Romans 8, 9-17, but it doesn't stop there. Turn with me to the book of Ephesians in chapter 3. I've talked about this passage many times, and good Lord willing, I'll talk about it many more. Ephesians chapter 3, beginning at verse 14. For this reason, Paul says, as he writes to our brethren in the church of Christ in Ephesus in the first century, for this reason, verse 14, I bow my knees to the Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, from whom the whole family in heaven and earth is named, that he would grant you, according to the riches of his glory, to be strengthened with might through his Spirit in the inner man. Keep in mind here, he's writing to people who are members of his church. It's not written to pagans. This is written to people who have heard the gospel message. They have confessed Christ. They have repented of their sins. They have been baptized for the forgiveness of their sins. They are members of the church. And look what he says. He said, I'm praying for you. I'm praying for you that you would be strengthened with might through his spirit in the inner man. You have a day that you could use a little strengthening now and then when the struggles of life hit. Paul says he's praying for these brethren that Christ may dwell in their hearts through faith, verse 17. And he says that you, being rooted and grounded in love, watch this, may be able to comprehend. Well, wait a minute. They're already Christians. They already know the love of God. Paul says, no. I want you to comprehend. I want you to really understand. I want you to begin to get an idea and get your mind around that you may comprehend what with all the saints what is the width and length and depth and height and to know the love of Christ which passes knowledge Paul said I want you to know that which you cannot possibly get your mind around I want you to begin to understand the incredible love that God has for you you Christians you got to get this, he says. I'm praying that your eyes will be opened and that you'll understand God's great love for you, that you may be filled with all the fullness of God. See, when life comes along and beats us up, we need to be full of God. Because life ain't going to beat God up to the point he loses. Now to him who is able to do exceedingly abundantly above all that we ask or think, according to the power that works in us, in us, in us church members, to him be glory in the church by Christ Jesus to all generations forever and ever. I wonder how many Christians, brethren, I ain't pointing my finger at anybody, I'm just throwing this out. I wonder how many people become Christians 
spend decades in the pews and never begin to fully comprehend how much God loves them. You know why? Because God's love is beyond human reasoning. And so we've got, to, we've got to work at it. We've got to strive to understand it. And we need to pray for one another that that can happen. I mean, I could preach all night on those verses there, but we'll move on. Philippians chapter 3, would you go there please? In Philippians chapter 3, we find another 316 power passage if we begin reading at verse 12. Paul writes to our brethren in Philippi in the first century church of Christ, Not that I have already attained or am already perfect, perfected, but I press on, that I may lay hold of that for which Christ Jesus has also laid hold of me. Brethren, I don't count myself to have apprehended, but one thing I do, forgetting those things which are behind and reaching forward to those things which are ahead, I press toward the goal for the prize of the upward call of God in Christ Jesus. Therefore let us, as many as are mature, have this mind, and if in anything you think otherwise, God will reveal even this to you. Nevertheless, to the degree that we have already attained, let us walk by the same rule, let us be of the same mind. If the Apostle Paul can stand there and say, or sit there, I don't know how he was writing, but if he can say, you know what? I haven't attained it yet. I haven't gotten to where I want to be yet. I haven't got it all in one package here. So he says, you know what I do? He said, I forget the things behind me. I let go of them. Brethren, sometimes some things we got to just let go. I preached on that not too long ago. He said, I let go of all that stuff. And I press on toward the goal. I keep my eyes forward. I keep my eyes on the goal. I keep my eyes on the finish line. You remember what he said in 2 Timothy 4, right? I've finished the race. I've kept the faith. He tells us that. Fought the good fight. Finished the race. Kept the faith. He kept his eyes on the goal. Scott, what was behind him? Listen, there's not a person in this room that hasn't made a mistake in their past. Is that, is that fair? Not a one. But by the grace of God, we've got to let those things go. If God has put them under his blood, and put them under the blood and removed them as far as the east is from the west, we've got to forget them too. If God's willing to forget them, we need to. Hard to do. But it needs to be done. And we need to keep our eyes on that goal. We need to be thankful for the grace that he's given us so that those are hidden from his sight. But we need to let go of them out of ours as well. And this is what Paul is talking about. And believe me, Paul had a few mistakes in his past too, okay? But he said, I press on. And he says, that's the mind we must have. That is a powerful passage that shows us how to win the victory in this thing that we call life, especially when we've made mistakes. But it doesn't stop there. Turn to me to Colossians 3, 16. 16 and 17, let the word of Christ dwell in you richly in all wisdom, teaching and admonishing one another in psalms and hymns and spiritual songs, singing with grace in your hearts to the Lord, and whatever you do in word or deed, do all in the name of the Lord Jesus, giving thanks to God the Father through him. We talked this morning from Proverbs 3 about being happy. Remember that? Those of you that were here, what it takes to be happy. It's godly wisdom and, and coming to this understanding. Isn't it strange how all of this victory and all of this happiness comes from knowing God's wisdom and from understanding the love of God? A lot of these passages seem to come back to that, don't they? This one does as well. He says, 
let the word of Christ dwell in you richly and, and let it grow and let it blossom and let it come out. And whatever you do, it's not just in worship. Whatever you do, in word or in deed, be it Sunday night at 5 o'clock or Tuesday morning at 8 o'clock or Friday afternoon at 1.37. Doesn't matter. Whatever you do, anytime, in word or deed, do all in the name of or by the authority of the Lord. Knowing God's will and wisdom, understanding the love God has for us, and living for Him. That's where happiness comes from. Those are powerful passages. As I said this morning, how many millions of dollars are spent every year people looking for happiness? You know what? It's in Proverbs chapter 3. It's in these passages. Look at 1 Thessalonians. I'm sorry, 2 Thessalonians 3.16. One verse. 2 Thessalonians. I can say that. 2 Thessalonians 3.16. You want to talk about a powerful passage? Now may the Lord of peace himself. You see, that's who God is. God is the Lord of peace. He's not just a God who is love. He's the Lord of peace. He's the God of all comfort, 2 Corinthians 1, but he's also the Lord of peace. May the Lord of peace himself, notice this is personal, him, he himself, give you peace always in every way. Is there anybody in this room tonight who's got all the peace in their life they could possibly ever want? I don't see a single hand. Probably with good reason. But our prayer needs to be that the Lord of peace himself give us peace always in every way. The Lord be with you all. Is God capable of giving us all the peace we can handle above and beyond till our cup runneth over? Is he? Yes, he is. Does he want to? Yes, he does. Guess what? We need to go get it. And we only find that in his word and in our relationship with him. Look in 1 Timothy 3. Another 3.16 power passage. 1 Timothy 3. to 14-16. Timothy was told, do not neglect, I'm sorry, 3, there I am right there. I got it this time. 3.14 These things I write to you, though I hope to come to you shortly, but if I am delayed, I write so that you may know how you ought to conduct yourself in the house of God, which is the church of the living God, the pillar and ground of the truth. And without controversy, great is the mystery of godliness. God was manifested in the flesh, justified in the spirit, seen by angels, preached among the Gentiles, believed on in the world, and received up in glory. Listen. There's a whole bunch of churches out there. There's thousands of different churches, religious groups, thousands. How do you know? I mean, there are people in those churches that are just as convicted that they're right as any of us are. How do you know? Here's how you know. God's church, the house of God, the church of the living God, is that church which is the pillar and support of the truth. It is that church which holds up the light of God's word, unadulterated, unedited, the complete and entire word of God for the entire world to see. That's his church. Now there are some calling themselves Churches of Christ today that ain't doing that. 
But if they truly want to be his church, it takes more than a sign out front that says Church of Christ. They must be a church that holds up for all the world to see the entirety of God's truth. What is that truth? We see that truth reflected in verse 16. Aren't you glad to be in a church... To be in his church that holds up his truth no matter what in all things. That preaches the full gospel. Not just eight tenths or three quarters. Not some Romans road to salvation that takes you three quarters of the way there and then dumps you off on an exit without taking you the rest of the way. Aren't you glad to be in a place that upholds the full gospel? Because it is only that full gospel that will save you. But that's how you recognize the Lord's true church. We would note, of course, Second, Th- second Timothy chapter 3. And in 2 Timothy chapter 3, probably the first couple of verses I learned where they were in all of Scripture were 16 and 17, but let's begin in verse 12. You want to talk about a power-packed everyday passage? 2 Timothy 3.12 But evil men and impostors will grow worse and worse, deceiving and being deceived. Don't be surprised when those who have their own greedy agenda continue to try to deceive others, it's going to happen. But you, here's how to avoid that, must continue in the things, he says, which you have learned and been assured of, knowing from whom you have learned them, and that from childhood you've known the Holy Scriptures that are able to make you wise for salvation through faith, which is in Christ Jesus. It's only the Scriptures. It's only by, here we go again, it's only by knowing and understanding the wisdom of God that you're going to be spared from being deceived. Why? Because, 2 Timothy 3.16, all scripture is given by inspiration of God, or is God-breathed, is profitable for doctrine, for reproof, for correction, for instruction in righteousness, that the man of God may be complete, or perfect, some versions say, thoroughly equipped for every good work. If you want to stand perfect before God, something you can never do on your own, if you want to stand complete, if you want to know what it takes to stand perfect before God, if you want to, could have one tool, if somebody said there's one tool out there that will make you absolutely perfect for standing before God and thoroughly equipped for every good work, there's one tool out there that will do that. All Scripture. That's how powerful this is and what a powerful passage that is. One that I have used many times and we won't turn there, but James chapter 3 verses 13 through 18, the heart and soul of James' epistle about how godly wisdom causes meekness and all these things. But he says, if you have bitter envy and self-seeking in your hearts, do not lie against the truth. That passage, I, I turn there a lot, but that is the heart and soul of James message, his epistle, and it includes James 3.16 in the midst of verses 13 through 18. Look with me in 2 Peter. We'll find another 3.16 text. Or at least 3.16 at the heart of a very important passage. In 2 Peter 3, Verse 14, therefore, beloved, looking forward to these things, that is, this, when everything comes to an end, When God says, okay, that's it. Last day, that's it. Therefore, beloved, looking forward to these things, be diligent to be found by him in peace without spot and blameless. Listen, we need to make the effort every day to be clean and spotless. He cleaned us up. He forgave us all our sins. Our record was white as snow. 
But we need to make the effort every day that we can to stay as far away from sin as we can and to keep ourselves as unblemished and unstained as we can. That's what he's talking about. And consider, verse 15, that the long-suffering of our Lord is salvation, is also our brother, beloved brother Paul, according to the wisdom given to him, is written to you. As also in all his epistles, speaking in them of these things, in which are some things hard to understand which untaught and unstable people twist to their own destruction as they do also the rest of the scriptures. When people twist the scriptures and people get deceived, people are not going to go to heaven. If we want to avoid on that last day when God's wrath is poured, when the end is, that's it. It's over. Earth's done. It's gone. It's toast. It's history. And we all stand before God in what we call that, that great white throne judgment or that final day judgment. Those people who continually twist and pervert the scriptures for their own agenda are going to have a terrible problem. He said, you want to be saved from that? You therefore, beloved, verse 17, since you know this beforehand, beware lest you also fall from your own steadfastness, being led away with the error of the wicked. Guess what the solution is? Grow in the grace and knowledge of our Lord and Savior. Do I see something in here about Bible study being important? But that is a very powerful passage because it tells me that there are going to be people who twist the scriptures to their own agenda, to their own destruction. That's a powerful, sobering passage. We have another one in 1 John 3.16. If you would turn there, please. 1 John 3 and verses 16 through 18 to be exact. I love this one. You want to talk about power? By this we know love, because he laid down his life for us. Love is not some warm, fuzzy feeling. Love is not some emotional high. You want to know what real love is? Look at the cross. By this we know love, or we know what love is, because he laid down his life for us. And we also ought to lay down our lives for the brethren. He's going to go on and describe that in terms of finances, but I want to just take a minute and say this. Jesus laid down his life for us. Jesus served us to his own hurt. Jesus put us first, Philippians chapter 2, where it says, have this mind amongst yourselves, which is also in Christ Jesus. We need to honor one another above ourselves. Brethren, type of love that Christ had for us was to put himself in all kinds of danger, to put himself through everything he did, and to put our needs before his comfort. We all clear with that? In the next line, what does he say? That's what you need to do for one another. Do you know who the least important person in this room should be to each one of us? Each one of us. There's nobody in this room that should be less important to you than you are. Me too. Me too. I'm not getting off the hook here because I'm the preacher. <laughs> there are times when I stand before you and I preach a lesson that's not easy to preach. But if there's somebody that it really appears needs to hear it, then i got to preach it. You know why? Because I love them. 
And if they're headed in the wrong direction, I need to say, brother, you need to think about this. Sister, you need to think about this. That's the type of love we're supposed to have for each other, even when it hurts. That's what we need to do. But then he, he approaches it financially after that. He says, but whoever has this world's goods and sees his brother in need and shuts up his heart from him, how does the love of God abide in him? My little children, let us not love in word or in tongue, but in deed and in truth. What does verse 18 mean? Tell you what it means. What he's saying is this. Don't tell me you love me. Show me. Anybody can say anything. Don't tell me you love me. Show me. Let us not love, he says, in word or in tongue, but in deed and in truth. That's a powerful passage. Not always easy to do, especially if, you know, the person really I don't think likes me. <laughs> but that's godly love. Did Jesus die even for those that didn't like him? Did he die for those who put him there on the cross? Yeah, we just read that in Acts chapter 3. You, with the help of godless men, put him to death. Now, turn and repent of your sins. At times of refreshing, they come from... Yeah, we just read that. Finally, in Revelation chapter 3, as we get ready to close. Revelation chapter 3. We know the story. I'm not even going to read it. Church of Christ in Laodicea, verses 14 through 20. They thought they were really something. And God says, Oh, if you could only see you like I see you. You need to stop looking at yourself through your own tinted lens and getting a dishonest picture because of what I'm seeing ain't what you're seeing. You need to look at things through my eyes. And here's where I see you. Sometimes we need to sit back and examine where we are as a congregation and as individuals who make up that congregation. Why would God tell them that they needed to repent? Why would God say to them, you know, you're a mess. Don't you know, he says in verse 17, that you're wretched, miserable, poor, blind, and naked? He said he's going to spit them out of his mouth in verse 16. They're a mess. Why would he say that? Because he loved them, verse 19. As many as I love, I rebuke and chasten, therefore be zealous and repent. And then he says, I stand at the door and knock, in verse 20. Bottom line, he's told them. He's knocking at the door. But it's up to them to honor his word and open up to him. And so you can see that John 3.16 is not the only passage in the Bible that has 3.16 in it. It's powerful. Powerfully encouraging, powerfully loving, powerful in so many ways. You know, in fact, I'm convinced that if we were, you know, the, the old story, stranded on a desert island, right? How often does that happen unless you're on Survivor, right? I mean, come on. Um, which I don't watch, by the way. But anyway, you stand it on desert island. I'm pretty well convinced that if we had the third chapter of each one of these books that I have mentioned, that we'd have a pretty powerful piece of the Bible. So the next time you see or hear someone stress John 3.16, oh yeah, I know John 3.16. You know what we need to respond with? Great Bible study door opener. Yeah, but do you know all the other beautiful and powerful 316 passages in the Bible that are just so incredible, they're hard to get your mind around? Well, um, would you like to sit down and see how much more power is in some of those passages? I mean, what do you got to lose, right? I mean, why not? 
You might just find yourself in a Bible study with somebody when they see how incredible your God is in all of these other wonderful passages. After all, God did not limit himself to just one passage in John 3.16. Why should we? Are you his child tonight? It's true that God so loved the world, He gave His only begotten Son, that whosoever believes in Him should not perish. But belief alone, it's also true, is not enough, because even the demons believe and shudder. We see that a man is not saved by faith only, James chapter 2, verses 19 and 24. Belief in Jesus Christ means that I believe every word He said, I believe He is the Son of God. I believe he has been given all authority, Matthew 28, 18 through 20. I believe that he is the one who through God's word will judge us on the last day. I believe he is the one who will be the advocate. And so believing in Jesus, John 3, 16, means believing everything about Jesus. And if I believe that he is the son of God and that he has all of that authority, then you better believe that if he tells me do something, I'm doing it. That's what it means that all who believe in him should not perish. If there's anybody here tonight who has never responded to the gospel by being baptized specifically for the forgiveness of your sins, if there's anybody here tonight who has done that, but somewhere along the way, you just lost some of your strength and perseverance. Maybe you're one of those people that was mentioned tonight, or family member of some of those are hurting, and you just need the love of the church, the support of the church, and the prayers of the church. You know, we're supposed to be a family, right? There's nothing wrong with saying, you know what? I'm broken. I'm hurting. I'm coming apart. And I just need my brothers and sisters to hold me together. If that is your need, or if you have a need to be baptized, or anything else tonight we can help you with, please, please, I know we say it at the end of every service, but please come tonight. Really, as we stand and as we sing.